0: You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics in all honesty. I'm your host, Maurice Young. Okay, well, thank you, Jasmine, so much for being a guest on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Yeah, of course,
1: of course. Thank you for asking me to be on the
0: podcast. Okay, so to start with, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who is Jasmine? Yeah, well,
1: I am a Christian. I am a wife. I am a mother of a wonderful two-year-old. And I am also uh, sort of a foster mother to teen moms. Um, Hmm. My husband and I, we work with a ministry where we kind of take in teen moms and we just support them and do life with them and help them to be successful. Um, and I am also currently 13 weeks pregnant. <laughs>
0: so, Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Okay. So a couple of things I want to dive into, um, but let's start with this one. So how did you come into fostering teen moms? What was it about that experience that spoke to you? Yeah, well,
1: um, I always felt like I was sort of being called to mentor young women from an early age, maybe six mm. 17 or 18, um, not because of any experience I had, but I just really wanted to see young women be successful and I thought if I could be a part of that that would be wonderful um, and then growing up my mother raised me and my two siblings by herself and um, she was a young mom and she did a wonderful job with us and uh, you know I just'm so grateful for her and seeing what she experienced and how life was so hard for her, um, being a young mom with no real support, you know, um, I just can't Mm -hmm. imagine how she did it because I have a husband and (laughs) it's hard. So I'm just so grateful for her. And so when I got to college, I was an RA to freshman girls, a resident assistant to freshman girls. And I sort of mentored them. I was their resource, um, kind of their person if they didn't have anybody or, you Mm -hmm. know, their person they could come to with literally anything. And, um, I, I just loved it. I took on a lot. I carried a lot of people's burdens, but, um, it wasn't a burden for me to do that. If it meant that I was somehow helping them in this process and, being older now, I know how to care for myself while taking all of this on because it's hard mentally um, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn to take care of myself. But So I've had a passion for years um, to just work alongside young women, young girls, and to help them be successful, whatever it took, whatever I could give them. Um, I've just always wanted to give back and my husband has similar passions, Um, you know, just he really cares for, you know, those that are typically ignored or oppressed. And um, we both feel like really strongly that we should do something about it. And so this is one of our ways that we can give back and sort of do something about it.
0: Hmm. Wow. I mean, I feel like the world needs more people like you. (laughs) That's what's coming up for me as I hear you talk about that. Can you walk me a little bit more through what it looks like for you to foster a teen mom? Like, what does that relationship entail? And how do you walk them through that journey? Yeah, yeah. So...
1: Uh, it's a little different depending on the situation that the girl is in or coming from in her age. So, um, one of our girls is in the foster care system, and we are technically her placement. So mm. her foster home. So for her, um, her caseworker is the one who kind of calls all the shots, but. Um, we are still expected to be a parental figure for her. And so that means giving her hard advice when it comes to, and this is for all the girls really, but giving them hard advice when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of our girls we took in have been in abusive relationships whether verbally or physically, whether from a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a parent. And Mm. so they unload a lot of that, and we direct them to professional help. Um, Like, we have counselors for the girls to see, and um, so we give them professional help um, when we see that they need it. But it's... It's having, you know, they become our children. We treat them like they're our daughters. And so uh, we give them advice. We teach them how to cook. We teach them how to plan. We um, teach them everything that we would teach our daughter. Um, And we live with them. And so we see the good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we... Uh, create rules and boundaries that will help everyone in the house to succeed and do well. And we show them how to do that with their children and with their relationships. Uh, so it, it really is one thing that uh, one of the board members said when they were interviewing us is that this position will be like managing a very large family. And it is like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I would add managing, I would say managing a very large family, but add that these family members have gone through very traumatic um, circumstances. And so Mm -hmm. not just managing your very large family, but there's so much baggage that we have to kind of, we have to unpack all of that with the girls um, help them to learn how to process in a healthy way and to walk through that hard stuff. But we walk through it with them together and hope that they come out on the other side, you know, better. Um, They've grown. That's our Mm -hmm. hope. So it's hard. A lot of days, it requires a lot of energy, a lot of time, um and on top of that we have a toddler. <laughs> so right. doing all of that with her and still giving her love and attention and you know, sitting with her when she's having a tantrum or, you know, taking care of her when she's sick and learning how to say, All right, girls, I'm gonna go hang out downstairs. Uh, because I haven't spent time with my baby enough time mm-hmm. with her today, so if you need me, text me or come come get me if it's important, you know. But I'll be downstairs for a couple hours or however long, you know. So um, we're we've been talking a lot about boundaries lately. And it's been really cool, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't. Yeah, I, that's hard answering that question because I've never mothered a teenager before. You know, it's always been, I've always, you know, I was a substitute teacher once and I worked with teenagers. Um, I had my residence when I was a resident assistant in college, but they were only two years younger than I was. And so mm-hmm. this role requires being a parent more than being a friend. Um, being firm when necessary, but always, always, always loving them and being gracious and, you know, so it's hard, but it's so rewarding. And you just learn so much from these girls, you know? So just like we say, yeah. as parents right. We learn so much from our babies. They just, they teach us so much about ourselves. And it's so true with our girls that we live with. They are so amazing mm-hmm. um, and so different. And we're just so honored to be a part of their lives.
0: Mm. I'm curious about how you learned to walk with people through the hard and the messy things in life and and to be there as you help them to unpack what they've experienced. Like, where where did that training come from? Well... Uh,
1: I have always been, and this is not to say that, you know, I've always known how to deal with this, but I've always been the friend that all my friends came to with their stuff. Not just my friends, but my family, <laughs> not just my family, but mm. strangers <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. the list goes on. And so. I saw this as a pattern and, you know, I thought, man, uh, God, I'm going to need you to help me with this because I don't know if I can do this. And then in college, you know, I took an interest in social work. I did not get a degree in social work, but I've been considering going back to pursue a degree in social work. So I have talked to a lot of people in my very young life. Um, and I have, I would say, talked to people in the wrong way and in, in the right way. The wrong way being listening to respond or react rather mm-hmm. than just listening. And so I have learned to listen and I don't know you know honestly I pray and ask for wisdom every day <laughs> so I truly believe mm-hmm. that that's just a God-given thing and he gives me that through you know older women in my life people in my life um and I just I don't know that's a very hard question for me to answer because I've had no formal training. Uh, mm-hmm. I do see a therapist, but, um, that's just recent. Uh, I have friends who are in social work and have, uh, careers on that same, on that, in that same in similar fields. um, And I've talked with them in college. I've taken courses that forced me to listen and listen well and to just look at people for who they are and sit with them. in whatever they are talking to you about, um, every conversation is... Not one that I need to give advice in. Uh, mm. I wasn't always like this. I I don't really like hearing the hard stuff that people go through because I'm a very emotional. <laughs> I'm a very emotional person, and I, you know, I hate to see people struggle. I hate to see people hurt. Um, but. I have learned that it is so good for many people to just have someone to hear them, not just listen, but to hear them and and to just be there, just be there, you know? Mm. And so those are things I have to practice every day with our girls uh, and then with certain family members and friends who are, struggling with things and who, you know, they may have been struggling with something specific for years now. Um, and I've just mm-hmm. sat with them, walked with them through it, listened. If they asked for advice, I gave it to them. Uh, in the case with our girls, sometimes there is, you know, there are safety issues and things like that where we have to say, well, no, we're not going to let this happen because this is a safety concern and it's our job to protect you. So there are, you know, you know know when you have to intervene, when you have to do more than just listen, when you have to say, I need to do something because your safety is at risk right now. Uh, And Mm so um, when I was a resident assistant in college, we did have a lot of uh, in-service training things where we uh, talked a lot about listening and and knowing when to intervene and things like that. So, you know, I just talked for like 10 minutes. (laughs) But I will say that maybe some of that came from my resident assistant training. Um, it was definitely helpful and I use a lot of what I was taught actually in this position as a house mom for our teen moms. So, yeah.
0: Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about the difference between listening and hearing someone because you brought that up and I thought that was an interesting distinction that you made.
1: Yeah. Well, you can listen to someone. You're listening to the words and the sounds that are coming out of their mouth. You're listening to their utterances and maybe bits of their story. And you, you, you listen to the theme of what's going on. Um, but I guess when you hear someone, you see them as a person you accept what they're telling you for what it is you don't make any any theories you don't get you you know you don't put in your two cents you accept all of what they're telling you and you process it and you still love them and you still see them as the human wonderful person that they are and it's 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 quite the difference because I've done a lot of listening and I I have learned to hear when um, let's see I had never talked much with people about mental health issues until college hmm. I never understood them and so whatever someone struggled with something mental health related my response would just kind of be oh that sucks how can we like get this person to not be depressed you know and then Mm -hmm. I learned that it is more common than we think and then I struggled with it after I had my daughter I had postpartum anxiety and depression, and so I talked to more people about it, and and, and even before this, I had a friend who still struggles with severe depression, and she would just come over and just talk to me about what she struggles with, and in those conversations, I decided that I was going to listen to understand her even if I never could understand her, I'm going to try. I'm going to put myself in her shoes. And I think that's when you hear someone. Um, and she changed my thinking when it comes to mental health is- issues and just how I see people and how I support them mm-hmm. and what I say to them. Um, and then, like I mentioned, I struggled myself, not on the level that this friend did, but I was able to say, I understand some of the frustrations you had when you attempted to talk to people about this and their reactions or response were just so far off because they weren't hearing you, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, really putting yourself in someone else's shoes and being there with them in that it's so hard because you really take that on and you feel it. And that's that's the goal. The goal is to attempt to feel what they're feeling and that you know, you might not ever be able to do that depending on the the situation. But Man, Mm -hmm. that just makes
0: conversations so different, you know? Oh, yeah. I can imagine. So as you were experiencing postpartum anxiety and depression, what was revealed to you during that time? In general or relating to motherhood? In general and then... I'm curious because you mentioned that up until that point, you had really struggled to really hear people who were struggling with something that was related to mental health. So did that shift when you were experiencing it firsthand? And I'd love to know how you were able to process that, um, even though you, in the beginning, weren't really sure about how to actually be there in an experience like that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, I remember one night before, let's see, I think maybe this was right after I was diagnosed, but I was lying in bed, and um, my husband was sitting next to me, and I said to him, I feel so crazy. I feel like my mind is attacking me and it's about to win Mm. and I could not control what was going on in my mind the thoughts that was just pop in my head and just how scared those thoughts would make me feel and whenever I before this when I talked to friends who struggle with mental health, specifically anxiety and depression, they would always say something similar to me, like, I can't control it. I have no idea why this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. And they would mention the chemical imbalance, and, you know, and I just never understood that. I'm like, I don't understand. Why can't you control it? Can't you just think a happy thought? I would never say that to them. But when I tried to when I attempted to, like, make sense of it in my mind, those are some of the thoughts I had. And then it happened to me. I tried to think happy thoughts or whatever I was trying to tell people, and that did not work. And I, uh, shortly after, joined a postpartum support group. Mm. And I listened to all these women talk about their experiences and I was just like yeah that's exactly what I'm dealing with and the best part of those of uh those sessions with the support group was that there was always a therapist and a nurse present and so Hmm. I asked one of the nurses once because they would always say you know a lot of you may not be or may not feel better or back to yourself until your hormones, you know, figure themselves out, get back on track. Just like, what do you mean? What does, I I mean, I know my hormones are different because, you know, I had a baby, I am breastfeeding, so I know, like, my hormones are different, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And one of the nurses drew this amazing diagram that showed the hormonal changes from when you are first pregnant until you have your baby, or until you're done breastfeeding, or until your first, you get your first period after you have your baby or after you're done breastfeeding. And... Mm-hmm. It was just so eye-opening. And it made me, being in that support group, listening to all those women's stories and experiences, and listening to the nurses and the therapists affirm what we were going through, really helped me to see, one, how common this is, but two, like, hey, Reach out. There's help. Sometimes there's an explanation for some of this. Sometimes there isn't. Um,
0: mm-hmm. A
1: lot of women in the support group who struggle with postpartum stuff struggled with mental health issues before they got pregnant. And so their anxiety or depression was a lot different than mine. Um, although my anxiety I found through seeing my therapist was something that I probably always dealt with, but my change in hormones just kind of took it over the edge.
0: Uh, Mm. How did your anxiety manifest during postpartum? Yeah, well, I had panic attacks
1: because I would get so overwhelmed with, this is kind of funny, I would get so overwhelmed with other people's issues (laughs) Mm. and I thought I was crazy and I would say, well, I feel like, you know, know, God, I feel like you made me to do this. Like most of my life I felt like, you know, a part of what I was made for was to help people walk through their hard stuff, but now I can't even deal with it. But what I learned through that was I need to learn self care (laughs) I need to Mm -hmm. learn how to take care of myself. And I needed to learn to set boundaries. And so I have some family members who are, you know, always negative or, you know, they always unload on me without asking how I'm doing. And so when I was diagnosed, those family members would call and unload on me and I would almost immediately have a panic attack. And I would have to get off the phone with him and figure out how to breathe and, you know, call my person. I had a like a support person who I could call if I was having a panic attack and she would help me breathe through it and kinda talk me down from it. Um but the panic attacks, I had never had a panic attack in my entire life. And I actually went to the ER the first time I had one because I didn't know what it was and I thought I was dying because my heart rate was just Mm -hmm. increasing and I just, I had never felt that before. So also, I was just afraid of everything and would just have these irrational thoughts about just like random things, like I'd be driving down the street in a car and see a brown paper bag in the street and think, oh no, I can't run over that because it's going to blow up when I run over it. And mm. I had never thought things like that before, you know? And mm-hmm. it scared me. And I was just like, why am I thinking like this? Is something wrong with me? Um, but it was just in- intrusive thoughts. That's a symptom of anxiety which I learned um, in my support group and my intrusive thoughts were terrible and those thoughts are what made me terribly afraid to even leave my house. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed when my daughter was about three months old and it took me until she was oh let's see maybe 10 months before I felt comfortable leaving the house um, for more than a few hours or I had to go somewhere specific. Like if I left the house, I had to go to my mother-in-law's house, for example, because I felt safe there. But mm-hmm. around the time she was about 10 months old, I started to feel comfortable like going to the store again or going to the library without feeling like somebody was going to take my daughter or, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. So the intrusive thoughts were, were really, really, um, scary and they held me back, but the panic attacks too. And learning to breathe through those things, man, makes a difference and just, Telling myself, you're not dying right now. You're just having a panic attack. So sit down, drink some water, and breathe. And I had to have that conversation with myself. Otherwise, I would just, my, my brain would go straight to, you're dying. You're about to die right mm-hmm. now. Um, I don't mean to be so dark, but that is just, that those are my exact thoughts. And it was so scary. And it's so cool to see, how far I've come mm-hmm. and reaching out to the right people, getting the professional help that I needed, uh, got me through that. And I was just like, I just don't want to deal with that again, but I know there's a chance that I will with this baby, you know, and so I'm taking the necessary precautions to prepare, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, fill up my toolbox so that I can have those things ready if, if I get those same symptoms again.
0: So what does that look like? Like, how can you, or how are you specifically preparing yourself for that possibility with baby number two? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, um, talked to my midwives and I told them about, you know, being diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and depression. And I first asked them, do you have recommended care for moms who have struggled with this already? And they actually Mm -hmm. have supplements that are available if I want them. And so if I start to see some of those symptoms show up, or if I feel some of those scary feelings that I had when my daughter was a newborn, Mm -hmm. um, then I will take those supplements. I already have my person who I can call or text if I'm feeling uh, if I'm feeling panicky. Is what I always mm-hmm. said. I also have my therapist who I see regularly, about twice a month, one to two times a month, depending on what's going on and um, if I have availability. Mm -hmm. So supplements, my therapist, my support person and people, uh, and I have just, thank God, I have just gotten so good about recognizing an intrusive thought. I mean, they're pretty obvious, but not just recognizing it, but when it, you know, invades my mind, I can say, Mm -hmm. oh. That's not real or, oh, that's not going to happen. Focus on what's in front of you. Focus on what's real. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't easy at first. That took months, months to believe. But um, now I'm at a point where I can say that and I believe it and I know it's true. And so I have since uh, getting pregnant with this baby, I've noticed some symptoms show up not very, um, not as intense, but, you know, that's a red flag for me. And so I have had to tell myself, you know, a weird thought will come to mind and I'll say, oh, that's not going to happen. And then just refocus on what I'm doing. So lots of mindfulness <laughs> and just being in the present you know we I use that so loosely sometimes oh just be in the present just be but that really saved my life when my anxiety was really bad um and that was hard to do when all I could think about were these terrible things that I couldn't control I didn't want to think of those Being in that moment, whatever moment it is, really kept me from having panic attacks. And so that's a big, that's a very important tool (laughs) Um, that I'll need, that I still need. Um, And I learned all of this stuff from my support group, and I still have them. I talked to some of those ladies still from that group, but I learned all these things from my support group, my therapist, and my support person. I'm just so thankful to have had all these people to just be with me in that and give me like tools that can help me through it, you know, and not just say, oh, just pray or something like that, (laughs) you know,
0: like, right. something actionable.
1: Yeah. Right. Like I, I firmly believe in the power of prayer, but I also firmly believe that God gives us people to help us when we need it. He gives us tools and those tools and people, they come in different, different forms, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I feel ready if I, do have to deal with that with this baby which i am expecting only because i've seen some of the symptoms already and so you know i've been talking to all my people and being like hey just so you know i'm having some intrusive thoughts or hey just so you know i felt like i was gonna have a panic attack the other day but i was actually hungry so i ate and i felt oh. better <laughs> you know um Because some of those symptoms and feelings, well, feelings of hunger or, you know, uh, sleepiness, they mirror feelings of anxiety, which is something I also learned. And so that's something else I do. I say, well, am I tired? Instead of just jumping right to I'm having a panic attack, you know, Mm -hmm. I say, well, when was the last time I ate? did I have any water today?
0: Did I have a lot of water today? (laughs) You know, things like that. Right. Yeah. I think that's really important, and I'm, I'm really glad that this time around you already have this community of support in place so that should anything arise after baby number two, comes Earthside I mean you'll have people who know how to walk with you through this experience and you won't have to feel so alone right
1: right exactly exactly because I did you know and I was so glad when I got my my tribe of supporters you know um, because mm-hmm. I was so empowered by them and just so embraced and it helped me. So much, and I still have them, so I'm so glad
0: right um for that, you know So what are you most looking forward to with baby number two and and being a mom of two in general? Well, I know this
1: might sound crazy, but I really enjoy the newborn stage. <laughs> <laughs> I just something about having a little tiny baby. In your arms all the time, and a little tiny baby that's not walking or crawling or talking yet, but just this little bitty human that you and your partner just made, and you get to look at and embrace and feed, and um, I, I just I love I love newborns, and we love our two year old so much. And we're just so excited to love this second baby. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, being a mom two, it kind of scares me. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, especially maybe it's just because we kind of feel like we have, uh, four children and three grandchildren. <laughs> Right. And so I kind of feel like I'm just adding a fifth child, uh, to our family. Um, but we do get time away from work and stuff and we do have time to be, um, you know, our small family away from our bigger family. But I am just excited to see our little family grow. Um, you know, my husband comes from a very large family. He has eight siblings. Oh, wow. And so, he, you know, if he had his way, we'd probably have three kids by now and probably pregnant with the fourth. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but um, I did not come from a large family. I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also like, well, our first one is, what are they call Spirited? <laughs> <laughs> She's very Spirited. Yeah. And, and lovely. Uh, but requires a lot and if this baby is anything like her um, I'm gonna need all the energy I can get um, so I'm, I'm also looking forward to just seeing how this child grows and becomes mm-hmm. you know the little human that they were meant to be um, I'm excited to see his or her personality, and I'm excited to see if it's a boy or a girl, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you
0: going to find out before the baby's born?
1: Yes, yes, we'll get the recommended 20-week ultrasound, and and we'll find out. So I thought about having a surprise, but then I was like, no, now I kind of want (laughs) to (laughs) know. It's just fun to know, I don't know. Um, So yeah, and... Uh, with with our two year old, I my husband he didn't get to feed her when she was really young. Well, I nursed her, and she was mm-hmm. not taking a bottle from anybody for like the first nine months. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and then, but I think that's just because I we never really offered it to her, and so I want to give my husband more opportunities to feed this baby with the baby is a newborn. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that too, but try not to have too many expectations or any at all really. Um, right. Just, <laughs> right. I can because understand. We just, we just disappoint ourselves when we do that.
0: So I, there's just no way to know for sure how things are actually going to turn out. So I know. like in my opinion, I try really hard. I don't always succeed, but I try hard to not get my hopes up about anything in particular because things always turn out in a way that I could never have expected in the first place.
1: That is so true. That is like the epitome of motherhood. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's just so true. And, and I would say that, I would say that for marriage too, it's just, Maybe just life in general. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not a very I'm not, you know, a planner or a type A personality. I'm very much a, you know, fly by the seat of my pants type of girl. But um I do have expectations when it comes to like or I've had expectations when it when it came to my marriage or being mm-hmm. a mom. And oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I was sorely disappointed. Not in a bad way because yeah. I got so much more than I expected. And it was so much better than I could have ever mm. asked for. But because of that, now I am just, i just like you said, I'm trying not to get my hopes up about too many things and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think it's just healthier that way. And I think, For me, I'm more grateful for what comes out of that, you know? Because if I have this, like, lofty expectation and it doesn't happen, then I'm disappointed. And, like, well, why did I expect that to happen anyway? You know, it's just... Right. So It can lead into
0: a spiral.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, and also... Going back to your question about what I'm looking forward to with this baby, Mm -hmm. I'm also looking forward to the birth of this baby, because with our daughter, um, we had a home birth, but my midwife retired. And so I was really sad, um, because she retired right before, or yeah, right before I found out I was pregnant. And I just dreamed that she would help me deliver all my babies. <laughs> you know. And we just had such a wonderful relationship. But it was time for her to retire. And I was really sad and I didn't want to find a new midwife. <laughs> but I have wonderful midwives. And I, I just love them. I love how supportive and, you know, they're just very supportive and they just know so much, and I just love talking to them and learning from them, and just feeling so supported. And so I'm looking forward to that too. Um, I mean, not like the pain and stuff because I'm, I'm still scared about that. <laughs> mm. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to prepare mentally and not say things like I'm scared and. <clears throat> Because I think that really makes a difference when yes. your mind is changed about those things and how birth works and you know all that stuff. And so I was so prepared with my first because I had lots of time to prepare and research and, and talk. And now I'm already in the second trimester. And I'm like, oh, I've done zero reading on anything. <laughs> like, what is going
0: on? So. Well, you're already taking care of a toddler and your your foster kids and everything. Like, you have a lot going on right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. And I just need to be intentional with making time for things that I need to do and things that I love. And that's where mm-hmm. boundaries come in. Um, I just need to be good
0: about getting to bed at a decent time. I hear you on that <laughs> I need to do better with that I feel like after my son goes to bed I'm like Woo, okay now I have time to do all the things I wanted to do all day that I haven't gotten to <laughs> and before you know it it's like midnight or later I'm like okay I should probably go to
1: bed <laughs> that is so true that is so true every night just about every night I'm like oh really It's 11 already. (sighs) Yeah, how does the time go by so fast? (laughs) No
0: idea. No idea.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So as we start to come full circle, I'd love to know more about what you and your husband have learned in parenting together. Yeah. Well, we,
1: the one thing that I know for sure my husband would say is that We learned to make each other a priority. Um, Mm. Because when we are not a priority to each other, then our parenting is not the greatest. And that just means that we are, like, more impatient with each other. Like, it's very hard for us to... uh, do date nights just because Mm. of our household and our circumstances. And, you know, if we get a babysitter, it has to be someone who's background checked and who is over the age of 20. And, you know, there are just these things Mm. that we have to follow to a T for safety reasons and uh, just general rules that the ministry has. And we have not been able to do regular date nights but we don't have to do we don't have to go out for a date night we can have date night in you know Mm -hmm. but we my husband is really busy with work right now and you know I'm busy with just like my toddler and just life in the house because I stay at home I do a lot of driving with the girls uh taking them to Mm -hmm. their appointments and things so we're really busy but we said that we would right before bed or right after dinner just talk for an hour, catch up, hear about each other's day, and just listen to each other, you know, and be there and just spend some time. And usually it's longer than an hour, you know, but mm. we when we do that and when we Have a date night out or in. It just. Makes. Things better. I don't know. We. um, We have to. Make sure we're. Filling each other up. And giving each other. The attention. That we should. You know the attention that. That my husband deserves. The attention that I deserve. And you know. And when we are loving each other well, we love our daughter so much better. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is our little human, right? And so the love we have for her is always unconditional. But if I'm struggling with things with my husband, then I notice that I can be a little more impatient with her because Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated with my husband or something, you know? So if we're loving each other well, then our parenting is so much better. Um, That's probably the biggest thing. And I would also say that, I don't know, patience probably. (laughs) More so Mm -hmm. for me than for my husband. But he's very patient. And a lot more patient than I am. But... I mean, the, like, <laughs> my husband joked, because I don't like messes, and when I was pregnant with our daughter, my husband, I don't know, he spilled something or something, and I got so frustrated, I said, oh, just clean it up, just clean it up, please, and he's like, what are you going to do when we have this baby? Kids make messes all the time, you can't just get mad at them, and <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right? But I think I also said something like But I can teach them to clean up after for themselves And Sure, sure I can do that But like not with a one year old Or mm-hmm. an eight month old Barely a two year old Okay And you know I've heard when, when toddlers are three That they somehow become teenagers And so <laughs> So you know just Just Being gracious and smiling through the messes and you know, my husband, if if our daughter knocks something over and, and breaks something, you know, we'll just scoop mm-hmm. her up and kiss her and say, Oh, it's okay, you're a toddler. You didn't know that was gonna happen. Something cute like that. And mm. it it just makes me appreciate him, but it also shows me like, yeah. I, I think that I was raised uh, or kind of subconsciously taught to put too much pressure on young children. Mm. And um, I don't want to do that to our daughter. And so one way that I'm trying not to do that is to just, well, not have these lofty expectations for my two-year-old <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but to also just like be gracious and to smile through whatever is going on every day is an opportunity to teach her and to guide her and to respectfully parent her um, and that is so humbling And, um, it just makes me love her even more, you know, and I don't want to be frustrated with her because she's doing toddler things, (laughs) you know? Um, and so I, it's just been really helpful to just understand where she is developmentally, into mm-hmm. their age, into consideration. I mean, this sounds like very basic stuff, but the environment I was raised in—it just was not. This was not the case at all when it comes to children. You know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people I knew had a very harsh way of dealing with young children, and I always knew I didn't want to to be that way. You know. I, and this is not to say that they're terrible parents or anything like that, but um, it was just very harsh. And um, I just didn't want to be harsh with my children. And a part of me trying not to be that way is really working and not getting so frustrated when my child is doing childish things (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. i i expect her to knock things over i expect her to fall and hurt herself even though i told her not to run in her socks or something (laughs) you know she's Mm -hmm. she's still learning she's learning how to listen she's learning how to make her own decisions um she's learning how to navigate this world and She's still learning our language, <laughs> you know? And so I just have to consider those things every day, especially when I am just not having a good day and I'm just really irritated or frustrated for some reason. And I have to check myself and I have to say, whatever you're dealing with, do not take this out on your daughter or your husband. Um, but you know I'm home with my daughter, so she's the one who is with me all day. Um, right. So, yeah, that's been that's been very humbling, and it's helped me to just appreciate
0: her for who she is. You know, as my little human. Mm. That is such a relevant reminder for me. So my son is two and a half, and mm-hmm. it's, it's very easy. I know, and you mentioned this a couple times as you were explaining this to me, but it seems obvious. Like, yeah, okay, we, we understand that we have a two-year-old. We understand that we have a toddler, but it's very easy to forget that this toddler is at a certain stage developmentally. Mm-hmm. developmentally yeah. Because they act so mature, <laughs> In certain instances, you know, and they're so capable of doing things like physically. And my son is talking so well that it's, I often forget that he's only two. Yeah. (laughs) And I have to constantly, I mean, multiple times a day, I have to remind myself like, he's only two. I can't (laughs) expect him to be perfectly neat, to never have outburst, to never, you know, run and fall and break something, to never disobey what I've said, you know, like, yeah. and I have, I, I have this, um, desire to want to control a lot of things like about his toddlerhood, you know, I, I want things to be easier. I want him to just sit down and eat his food. Like I've asked him to do it a thousand times. I want yeah, him to not right. touch the thing that I told him. <laughs> yesterday not to touch, you know. Um, And a part of my motherhood journey has been coming to the realization that, first of all, I'm just not in control of any other human. That's been a big one. And then second of all, it's okay for our children to develop in their own time yes I can't expect yes. adult behaviors from a toddler it's and so that's okay it. like that is a part of this upbringing that's a part of his childhood that's a part of him growing into maturity he doesn't yeah. come that way from the beginning right right oh I love that I
1: love especially the you know I can't control any human I love that because <laughs> I think often with children uh, we think that we can't control them <laughs> yeah because we look at them as these little little children who you know they need so much help and guidance from us which they do need guidance from us but we can gently and respectfully guide them and teach them without, trying to control them Um, Mm -hmm. that makes things so much worse when we try to do that you know and it makes I know more frustrating and it's like why don't we understand that you know right it I mean I there have been so many instances where you know I feel like oh why won't she listen to me why won't she listen to me and then I would have you know my following thought would be, what is my issue with wanting her to listen to me so badly? Why mm. Why am I so stuck on this? You know, why can't I just let my toddler be a toddler right now? You know, maybe she's, maybe she has a mission. Maybe she's trying to accomplish something else and I'm getting in her way because I'm trying to control mm-hmm. her and make her do what I want to do. You know? Mm-hmm. And so... I love that so much. (laughs) That's just such a good reminder because that's so accurate. We cannot control any human that includes our little babies, you know, that includes Mm -hmm. our children. And we don't like to see it that way often, you know, in our society. And that's, I just, I love that. Thanks for sharing that.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. So, where can people stay in touch with you and your journey?
1: Yeah, well, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram uh, as Jazz and Seventeen. Originally, my husband and I thought we would have like a shared Instagram page, but that hasn't really happened. <laughs> but <laughs> we still kept the name. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Jasmine Bewerly, and. Uh, I have a blog that I have not been working on, but that blog is in my bio (laughs) on Instagram, but it's very rough. I think one of the last stories was my birth story with Judith. Um, So, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm pretty active on social media, unless I'm doing a social media cleanse.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for coming onto the podcast and sharing more about your experience. Of course. (laughs) I loved everything that you had to say. Oh, thank you. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. And then pass this episode along to friends and family.